We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady. And Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Mind on My Money, presented by Pinnacle. I'm Neil McCready, Martin Palomo with me today, as is uh, Reed Davis. We're going to talk about. We got a question um, that led to a, led to a, it came from a, a, a subscriber at RebelGrove.com. He sent me a question, and so I said, you know what? I'm going to send this to Martin. Martin invited Reed, and we're going to talk about it here in just a minute. First, I want to tell you that I'm coming to you from Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for my buddy, uh, uh, Corey Clark. Corey. I'm having, I'm having, <laughs> it's a day. It's a day. Corey Clark. Uh, tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours, right? To the bottom line, there's no hassle. There's no haggle. You just get a quote. The rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around. You can do what I've done, I guess, five times now, and that's hop into a Clark Ford, you will love the product. You'll love the service. Corey and the people at Clark Ford, they want to be your car guy. They want to be your car, truck guy. They'll prove to you what that means when you make the call. 662-257-1900. And Martin, before we get rolling, tell the people what's up at Pinnacle and how they can get in touch with you guys. Yeah, man. I was, I was going to finish uh, talking about Corey for you, man. <clears throat> sometimes, funny, like, sometimes I need I, help. I think we could probably almost – Some. I think we could probably finish each other's sentences now for – I don't know how, how many years we've been doing this. Four, five, four, somewhere between four to five. Yeah, I think it's five, five years. Time flies when you're having fun, man. Uh, but, you know, as I'm sure I could uh, finish yours, you could also probably finish finish my sentences here. Um, you know, there is quite a bit of, a little bit of anxiety um, from, from folks about uh, the economy, the direction of markets. Um, you know, the stuff that, that is going on with our banking system, which we're going to get to in a little bit on the show, you know, are all, are all things that, that have people nervous and, and year in, year out, there's, there's always something, there's something that exists that makes people nervous about markets, whether it's stocks, whether it's bonds, 
Um, and, and if you want to worry about something, there's always something that you can worry about. The thing that we try to do with our clients is take the focus away from what's going on, the things we can't control in the markets, uh, and turn the focus to, you know, to the plan, like making sure, um, that everything is set for the future, whether it's retirement, you know, college education for kids, grandkids, um, you know, I mean, shoot, even if you've got all those things settled and your daughter just recently got married to a dude you really don't like, and you're like, man, I do not want that guy, uh, inheriting my money. You know, sometimes a trust makes sense. And those are all things that we talk about with our clients and we kind of focus on the things we can control, which is the planning part of it. You know, and if you're kind of looking at your financial situation and it feels real out of control, it's probably because you're focusing on the things that you have no control over. So uh, we can help you kind of whip that into shape, put the puzzle together with you. Um, you can email us info at mypinnwealth.com or uh, pick up the old school telephone. Call us 601-957-0323. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to read this question, Martin, and then I'm going to pass it to you and you and Reed can take off. And I'll, I'll listen, and if I feel like I need to intervene, I will. But for the most part, I'm going to let you guys have this. Because um, I, I couldn't answer this question. So I think you guys will have certainly a much better crack at it than I would. So JT Dale was kind enough to send me a message, uh, emailed me. And he said, uh, talk about mine and my money with Martin and Pinnacle Wealth. And he says, uh, I'd like to hear a local expert's opinion on the risk our regional banks are facing now. The financial collapse of 2008 was caused from the credit risk bankers took. The risk to banks today is different, but in my fears, it could be just as catastrophic. Some experts are predicting that one third of the regional banks will fail. With the regional banks losing their lifeline short-term deposits because the Federal Reserve has created an inverse yield curve, could 2023-2024 be just as catastrophic to the financial sector as 2007-2008 was? Sweet. Well, uh, JT couldn't have hit me or hit us up with a, with a better kind of tee-up, set-up question because when I read that, of course, you know, we've been talking about what's going on in the banking, um, the banking system and how it impacts our clients and portfolios. But I was like, man, I have got to pull Reed in to have this conversation. And, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to get to Reed in just a second, but, um, that was just a softball for, I shouldn't say a softball, uh, that set up perfectly for Reed's background. Uh, and I would have, we would have totally missed the opportunity, um, to, to bring Reed on and talk about it. So before we dive into answering the question, Reed, welcome to the show, man. Uh, kind of tell your background. I mean, I know a lot of people know you from Pinnacle Wealth and, you know, you're uh, our chief investment officer and you've been around for 10 years with us, but a lot of people don't know what you did before you came, um, you know, back to Mississippi and, uh, and, you know, and came to work uh, with us at Pinnacle. So kind of tell your background a little bit uh, as it relates to this, and then we're going to dive into tackling that question. Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, so so Martin, I, I finished up my my MBA at William & Mary in Virginia, and I went straight into um, equity research, which equity research in Wall Street terms is a, is a quick topic for stock analysts. And what that means is that for a few years, I spent, you know, all day covering 
call it 20 companies, one specific sector of the stock market. Um, and my job was to understand every single detail within each one of those companies, all the risks pertaining to them moving forward, watch for any um, status changes with executives, what really for anything, anything that can move the stock price. And then from there, I spent five years um, doing bank mergers and acquisitions. And so, yeah, I would say from 2007 to 2014, I got a pretty, uh, I got a PhD in the financial sector. So, uh, yeah, so, so I think the, I think the, the point being is that, yeah, what's going on right now is very, uh, it certainly pertains to what happened in 2008 and, and, uh, I'm certainly kind of comfortable talking about it. So like before 2008, when you were on the, on, you know, doing M&A or mergers and acquisitions work for banks prior to the great financial crisis, how many banks failed prior to the financial crisis? So I think the famous stat I remember from my time in that business was that from 2000 to 2007, 14 banks in America failed. Um, and by failing, that means that they did not meet the uh, the reserve requirements, the financial ratios, one of the requirements from the regulators. They did not meet and they were shut down, for lack of a better term. And so once they're like, shut so down- Like, so the FDIC comes in and says, hey, we're taking over management your, of the bank. Your tier one ratio has gotten so out of hand that we're going to take over management of the bank. And what that means is, is that you're going to sit back and we're going to tell you who we're selling you to. We're going to tell you who we're selling. And, and, and it's truly like that. And so then what the Federal Reserve then does at that point is they go out and find big, healthy banks that want, that have an appetite for banks in that, that sector or regional area. And they say, hey, TD, would you like to purchase this bank for 60 cents on the dollar? They have failed and we will cover some of the losses for you. And so it turns into a pretty um, it turns in, into a pretty good deal for whoever the acquiring institutions are. Um, and that whole story kind of hit, I mean, we woke up a month or two ago and, uh, the SVP, well, and I go, oh well, my goodness, before we, we go hit, yeah. before we hit there, talk about, all right. So 14 banks failed from 2000 to 2007, how many banks failed while you were, and then kind of talk about what it was like, you know, the back behind the scenes doing all like what, what, what is a, what does a failing bank look like? What does it look like for? for customers, you know, depositors to, but then tell us like how many, how many banks failed in 08, then we'll kind of fast forward to today, if it still looks the same or, um, you know, and then what, and what that means for, for our listeners so as well. From, so from 2008 to 2013, 700 and some change failed. So, all right. So 14 banks in seven years prior to 08. And then in the next five years, 700 banks. Correct. Fail. That's right. right. Okay. And, and banks primarily fail for one of two reasons. One is credit. They've loaned out money that people aren't going to pay them back. Right. And so in 08. That was credit. A lot of yep. it was credit mortgages that, that people took out that had crazy terms, right? Like, you know, they're going to low interest on the front end or lower interest on the front end. Then they're going to balloon, you know, huge. They weren't checking documentation for you know income the ability to service those loans it was just kind of like wild wild west make as many loans as you possibly can correct that's correct. all right that was for the individual side yep. um all right kind of talk about what else kind of happened in 08 for setting up the 
fissures or the or the cracks in the banking system well well lending in general just got it got very relaxed and uh so you had the sum the subprime markets in the 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 higher concentrated urban areas which i you know i call the big cities the the la's the new york's the subprime crisis really hit those those geographical areas a lot more than you know like the southeast for example um but what what happened in a lot of other regions um a lot of the beach areas is that the banks because lending was so because because people were making good money lending was so easy people were making money off properties uh, rolling them into new deals. The construction, construction and commercial loan business got a little, uh, got a little. I don't want to say greedy, but got a little uh, out of whack. Say greedy. Well. And so, so what happens is, is that a bank, their loss ratios start creeping up and creeping up and creeping up, and the FDIC steps in and says, "Hey, look, if we get to a certain point, your profitability is not going to meet your ratios required." You know, this or that's going to have to happen. And so the FDIC comes in and says, hey, look, you got six months to fix this or we're selling you to, you know, to a bigger guy. That's correct. Yeah. So like one of the and then, you know, it wasn't and even it wasn't just in lending either. It was, you know, in the more sophisticated markets, you know, you had Bear Stearns fail, uh, J.P. Morgan, most famously uh, rescued Bear Stearns. Um, and then the government, the so the, as as, and I know you and I were both at the same um, conference when Jamie Dimon was talking about it. And I remember him saying, you know, that the essentially the Federal Reserve or the Treasury came to him and said, hey, we, we desperately need you to buy Bear Stearns. And he's like, I don't want to buy Bear Stearns. They have terrible assets. We don't want those on our books. And they're like, look, we need you to do this for your country. And, uh, and they buy Bear Stearns and then the treasury turns around and finds him like, what was it like, I don't know, 10 million or a hundred million dollars for toxic assets on his balance sheet that he only had because, (laughs) because he, because he bought them. So there was a couple things that happened in 08 that really kind of aren't, I mean, like we don't have counterparty risk today in like the sophisticated side of the market, like we did in 08 coupled with, you know, the individuals and mortgages and stuff like that. Yeah. And certainly lending and certainly lending standards. I mean, so so and we'll get into how that affects us today when we get to the what's going on now. But you know, one of the big things that happened from that was the the change in regulatory requirements from, you know, the Fed and other regulatory agencies to banks. They just made it harder for a bank to make money. They raised all their tier requirements. They they I mean, they had to have more capital or cash on hand than they That's used right. to. And so, okay. so what that effectively does is it reduces bank profitabilities. And I, and I think, and I'm, I'm giving you a, a snapshot of moving ahead, but I think really the biggest risk moving forward for the banking sector is the same thing that happened um, in 2008 and that all the change, they'll get this fixed, but all the changes are going to be make more it. regulatory stuff. That's right. Yeah. I actually had a conversation with a, a local banker in our, in the parking lot of the Kroger and Jackson at about 10 o'clock two nights ago. And I asked him the same question. He actually said the same thing. He said the biggest fear that, that they have is more regulation. Well, that's what, that's what happens, right? It's like anything else. They come in and say, you know, six of the 6,000 banks did this and it, and it caused a huge scare to the consumer. And so we're going to raise all of these ratios. We're going to do this. We're going to make an extra, you know, an extra process, an extra step in the process for these four kind of deals. And the bankers go, well, you just, 
made us hire two more people and cut our margins on these three products. I mean, they just made it harder for a bank to make money. Right. So then the other thing that they did post 2008 was, uh, you know, the fed brought interest rates down to zero, um, which kind of stayed at zero for the last 15 years until last year. So let's fast forward from 2008. Uh, you know, the fed stepped in, there was a lot of government intervention, a lot of regulation, that increased, not necessarily all of it bad, uh, but usually when the government gets involved or overly involved, it's not necessarily a great thing. Um, so fast, let's fast forward 15 years, you know, 2023, the first domino to recently fall um, was the Silicon Valley Bank deal, which, you know, of course, uh, looked very different than, you know, I know people listening want us to talk about their regional and local banks. And let's just kind of say that like Silicon Valley, First Republic, these guys that have been failing right now are not your very typical, you know, regional bank. They are, you know, a lot of very, very high net worth clients or um, commercial deposits. They're their ratio for deposits above FDIC versus deposit under FDIC limits are really kind of the inverse of, you know, what we would see here locally in Mississippi or in, in the Southeast, whereas like 80, 90% of their deposits were over FDIC limits. Uh, you know, your, your local bank, whether it's a Trustmark, you know, first commercial Renaissance, you know, cadence regions, uh, origin, I'm trying to go through the list, community bank of Mississippi, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, guarantee, um, bank, all those guys, most of your locals banks are going to have kind of the reverse, correct? You know, a lot, most of the deposits are going to be individuals like me and you, most deposits are going to be under FDIC limits, but let's kind of talk about what risks are out there. And I know there's some news that we can talk about and, and Neil may jump in and, and interject, um, you know, on, on some more recent stuff, especially it's kind of local to us with, you know, up in Memphis, but I won't dig in, we won't dive into that just yet. Let's, so let's kind of talk about what does the, what does it look like today from a risk standpoint for regional banks specifically, not the JP Morgans are fine. You know, Wells Fargo it's fine. Um, you know, Goldman Sachs is going to be okay. Let's kind of talk about the, you know, the, the, the banks that most of our listeners probably do business with on a day-to-day basis. Well, in terms of how it, you know, I think that question can be tiered in a lot of ways, but I mean, in terms of how the consumer is going to feel this, I don't think it's going to affect the, you know, our customers or clients or, are individuals interested in? I don't. I don't think it's going to affect um, very many of them at all. Um, I would say it's very likely it doesn't affect any of them at all in the way that they they see. What what it is affecting is um, the regulatory meetings and the management meetings across the board because the rules have changed. Um, you know, the the banks went fifteen years with zero percent interest rates, and they've held you know bonds and loans on the portfolio for. 15 years at a premium or, you know, within a few percent of, of a par. And then all of a sudden rates get increased 400 basis points in a one year period. And every, you know, bond on their, on their balance sheet and every loan on their balance sheet is 
10, 15, 20% underwater in terms of, of value. And so, um, in my opinion, the Fed changed the game and the Fed's going to have to do something to the effect of coming back to the banks and saying, hey, look, we're going to provide liquidity in terms of, uh, you know, if there's any kind of, of kind of wild, wild west, but we're going to protect y'all because the Feds are really part of the problem, in my sure. opinion. Yeah, and I've, and I've said that too. I, Neil and I, in a previous show, we uh, we kind of addressed that that comment that that Fed, the Fed has been really the driver of uh, of a good bit of this volatility. You know, and I'm going to say from a day-to-day basis, you know, people going into their bank, making deposits, pulling deposits out, you know, the servicing of their mortgages, maybe the servicing of their, you know, if they've got a business loan or a personal loan, probably not going to have much of a change day-to-day. The only, the, the biggest, I think the biggest impact listeners will have is if you own, you know, regions individually. And I know we have clients around here that have, you know, big positions, uh, you know, in regions or Renaissance or, um, you know, origin bank, uh, you know, that, that have been, you know, hurt pretty bad from a stock price since the beginning of the year. I mean, I know a lot of those stocks, um, are down, you know, 30 plus percent. Well, I think the, ba- I think the regional the bank, of the, year. The, re- the regional bank sector is down north of 25% for the year. Yeah. I mean, and that makes sense. And we, and I do want to talk about the first horizon thing in just a second. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to delay us just a little bit more, um, you know, on that, because one of the things, you know, it's funny, it's kind of like a, it's like a, it feels like we're going in circles, uh, you know, with, with the whole, with the fed, with the fed intervention piece where, you know, one of the reasons where we have so much inflation is because there was so much liquidity pumped into the economy, you know, post COVID. And then the fed gets late to, uh, you know, to the game with, uh, you know, raising rates to kind of choke the inflation out of the markets, which, so then they very quickly raise rates, which creates some, uh, some cracks and some fissures with, you know, valuations for banks on their portfolio, which really, if they just hold to maturity is a non-issue at all, but where people got freaked out that they weren't going to be able to get their cash and they ran and withdrew money. And the only way for the bank to present cash is to sell those bonds that are now underwater, where if they could hold on to them for another three months or six months, they would, there would, it's it's a non-issue at all. And then, so now the fed's possible solution is, you know, as you said, if the fed's going to have to provide liquidity, it's like, man, are we just going in circles with the inflation? Because if M2 goes back up because the, you know, the, the government has pumped more money into banks. It's like, ah, oh, shit, here, have, have we not <laughs> learned anything since COVID? And, uh, I'm going to say the answer is probably no, <laughs> that we haven't learned anything since COVID, but we, refu- we refuse like- to learn anything. We have learned things. But we, <laughs> we, we have absolutely learned things. But to implement the change that we all know is needed requires a level of common sense and pragmatism that is simply not accepted in any facet of our society today. Bam. He's not wrong. Neil drops the mic, walks out. He's not wrong. <laughs> no. 
No. I mean, well, I mean, we I literally. It's we, be a well, bit I mean, we we, too. we we literally just just saw a, a move to to punish people with good credit and essentially reward people with less than stellar credit as it pertains to mortgages. That that literally just happened. It it makes no sense at all that you would you would punish people who have good credit so that you can pass out more mortgages that are more likely to be defaulted upon. That, 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 there's no common sense in that. It's like putting a baseball lineup together and you're like, okay, we, these three guys are really good hitters. These three guys struggle to hit. Let's take them out and put them in. We'll win, right? Well, you might. Y'all want, my, y'all want, my base, my, my, y'all want a football or baseball analogy to sum up what's going on in the financial market trade. I'll say Neil loves baseball. So uh, either baseball way. So essentially what happened is, is the whatever metric the referees and coaches and fans use to watch the game, the rules change. Interest rates went up 400 basis points, all the banks. So I think when people say is there going to be contagion into regional banks, there's going to be contagion in the sense that, yes, they have a lot of assets that are underwater. But to Martin's point that he just made, it doesn't matter if they're holding them to maturity. It only matters if there's a run on the assets. In other words, it doesn't matter if your assets are, are worth less than 100 uh, you know, par if nobody's making you sell them until you hold them to maturity. And so, so what the banks, what the, what the central bank has done, or the Federal Reserve, and what the European Central Bank and what the, the Bank of Tokyo have done is, is basically sent out to all the banks saying, hey, look, we'll provide quicker um, short-term liquidity. We'll provide more short-term liquidity. And I think that allows for the banks to say, hey, look, we're not going to, we're not going to make a run on the bank, but what's going to happen? And this is where I get to the bank, the, the baseball analogy. What happens in these situations is it's just like a team who's gotten into chaos or it's just like any crap situation. What the analysts are going to do, and I don't know if you want to call that the coach or whatever, but the analysts are going to break apart the 10 different bank sectors, regional banks, large regional banks, mid cap, regional banks, small cap. They're going to compare all of them to each other, just like you would do players. And they would say, based on the new problem that we have in this league, based on the fact that we can't wear cleats anymore because whatever, it rained for four years straight, What now that we can't do that, who's a problem? In other words, now that we're identifying problems based on liquidity needs and portfolio um, valuations and all that, they're going to re-break all the, the banks apart and say, all right, here are the problems. That's why you wake up and see one bank down 40% and one bank down 25 and the other five flat is because – Analysts are starting to say, all right, well, this this bank is going to have a big-ass problem in the next yep. year or two. They have a huge bond portfolio. Yep. They have a huge uh, issue with their deposit base being very concentrated into a few people. And then, the, and so what you're going to see is banks start – it's not going to be contagion. You're going to see the weak banks start falling off just like if a new yeah, coach – more consolidation. If, they, if a new coach came if, – if Deion Sanders goes into Colorado, he's going to be cutting out everybody he doesn't want. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And the, and the analysts are going to start going, I don't want to hold that bank. I don't want to hold that bank. And then you're going to see the banking sector change in the near term, because the rules of what a good bank is valued at has changed. It's the whole thing's different now. Yeah. I think there'll be more consolidation too. We're starting to see that, um, you know, and, and so let's kind of, let's kind of talk, let's dive over to a, a, a story that is uh, local for, for a lot of our listener base, um, which is there was a bank out of Toronto, TD bank, um, you know, made a, made a bid to purchase, First Horizon, which used to be First Tennessee, you know, based in uh in Memphis. Hell, we may even have some listeners that are that work or bank with um with First Horizon or First Tennessee. So uh Neil, do you, do I get to play the role of Neil or or do you want to uh you can you can hit that story on Wall Street Journal? Uh, I'll hit it. I'll hit it for us. Let's see. Um Okay, I just want to. I mean, this is usually, you know, you're. You Are you saying I'm a I'm a I'm a good reader? Is that what you're saying? You read well, the you, headlines. You read the headlines. You're an excellent reader. Yeah, the headline is Toronto Dominion Bank yeah. First Horizon Call Off Merger. So this is written um, by our good friends uh, Vipal Munga and what's up, Vipal and Adriano Manchisi. Yeah. Uh, Toronto John. Toronto Dominion Bank and Tennessee-based First Horizon have called off their $13.4 billion merger. TD ran into hurdles getting regulators to sign off on the deal. Announced in February of 2022, the Canadian lender said it couldn't be sure when or if it would get the necessary approval, so the two banks decided to terminate the deal. Shares of Tennessee-based First Horizon fell nearly 37% mid-morning as we record this around 11 a.m. Central Time on Thursday. The deal's collapse comes at a precarious time for U.S. regional banks such as First Horizon. The Monday seizure and sale of First Republic Bank to J.P. Morgan Chase has further dented confidence in mid-sized lenders battered by the March collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and New York's Signature Bank. Regional bank stocks tumbled Thursday morning despite assurances from the Federal Reserve that the banking system is on solid footing. PacWest Bank Corp., which has been hit hard since regional banks started wavering in March, fell 50%, 5-0, The deal would have made TD the sixth largest U.S. bank by assets 
taking it into new markets in Louisiana, Tennessee, Texas, and Georgia. Canadian rival BMO Financial Group recently closed its $16.3 billion deal for Bank of the West. TD Bank has been a target of U.S. regulators in recent years. In 2020, the bank reached a $122 million settlement with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which found it had charged customers overdraft fees for ATM and one-time debit card transactions without obtaining their consent. Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts last year asked the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency to block the First Horizon deal, citing unchecked fraud and abuse at TD Bank. Ms. Warren said the bank had been pressuring customers to open accounts and sign up for services they didn't need. Uh, the story goes goes on and, uh, and on, but uh, it finishes with the $225 $225 million termination fee will help First Horizon boost its capital ratios, he said, adding that the bank's uh, top total deposits have increased roughly 2% from the first quarter of 2020. That was quoting, read, that was quoting yeah, that, Brian Jordan, the, the First Horizon CEO. I feel like a real news analyst right now. Uh, yeah, and dude, and dude so the, the penalty for TD was $200 million of cash. Uh, and also a $25 million termination fee uh, under the merger agreement. So, I mean, First Horizon, I mean, they kind of, uh, I guess it pays to get dumped in this case. uh, It's funny just listening to the two names in that article, TD Bank and Bank BMO, which is Bank of Montreal. Yep. TD Bank and Bank of Montreal bought the two biggest failed banks in 2009. That whole crisis, TD bought. Chrysler Financial and BMO bought Harris Bank, which is a huge Chicago bank. So what's it's just interesting to me that the, the Canadian banks just kind of seem to linger back. And when the American market gets into crisis mode, they start picking them off again. <laughs> it's just it's just something to think about. Yeah, you know, and <clears throat> I think that's a, you know, I know there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of buzz around the TD First Horizon merger. Um, you know, and some of it was, uh, you know, of course, in the in the deep south, I will say that we are uh, um, we are very loyal to American brands. Uh, you know, we do love America and America first. And it was it was very interesting. Some of the stuff that uh, you know I kind of heard from from folks who do um, ancillary business around First Horizon that was saying like, "Hey, you know, maybe we can go into some of the First Horizon clients." and be able to pick them off because we're going to tell them, Hey, would you rather do business with your friend from Mississippi or some Canadian, you know, in Toronto and not that I shouldn't say some Canadian. That sounds like I'm saying that Canadians are bad people, which I don't believe that at all. Canadians are, they just like cold weather. I, I don't, I can't understand that, but, um, but anyway, that's, you know, it was kind of, an, there was a lot of opportunistic buzz around, you know, our state for uh, picking off some of the business that first horizon and by first horizon has a great book of business, um, you know, picking off some of that business because it was going to go across north of the border or at least the revenues and profits would go north of the border. Yeah. I mean, for, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, or depending on who you are and where and how you look at it, that's just the nature of the beast. And these, a few of these big Canadian banks have been, the, the most well-capitalized banks um, in North America's for, you know, a couple decades. And uh, 
they seem to get very active when when it's time to buy and i bet you that's one of their strategies and and i understand that and then typically what will happen is in in a market like this and the reason why consumers kind of go in full circle back to why i don't feel this is a, a total contagion moment for for consumers and, and the regional banks is because there there's a huge demand for a healthy bank that just has a bad bond portfolio um for a regional bank and and if these banks are are in near in need or in or close to not meeting their their requirements from the regulators um there will be a lot of demand just like you've seen for banks already over the last couple of months when they start failing and they'll get picked off pretty quickly and the market will reset pretty quickly and the rules will adapt pretty quickly and and the banking sector will just continue to keep moving forward i think the one thing that always it's kind of like it's kind of like in the markets. You just don't fight the Fed, and if the Fed's helping, they're not going to let the banking sector. Uh, they're not going to let it crash. And so, um, I think by them saying they they're going to provide the liquidity, they're basically putting it out there that hey, we're going to protect people. You might see a little more consolidation from the bigger banks to regional banks. That's normal anyway. Um, I think the biggest concern, the two biggest concerns moving forward for the banking sector, are what we talked about earlier. Whereas new requirements not just continuing to, to pinch profitability of banks because you know obviously that's bad for investors as well if we see profitability continue to get um pinched back every year based on more and more um requirements and the other thing being the ultimate no-no would be if, if this thing gets bad enough to where it turns into a, a credit problem um which you know yeah, and i, I kind of look at but the, the consumer looks so different it does today than, than the consumer did. Years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <clears throat> we look so different. And I mean, I realize like credit card balances are going up a little bit, you know, um, defaults are slightly clicking up, but they are nothing, not even close to where they were in 2008. It's like, they don't even, this doesn't even look like the same girl that we're trying to dance with. This one's much more beautiful than the 2008 girl. She was pretty fucked. She is she a lot prettier. That's that's yeah. pretty. That is one hundred percent sure. This girl is a lot prettier in two thousand eight. All right, let me ask right. both yeah. of let me ask both of you a question about another story. That's that's. I don't I don't know that it's related. Maybe it maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Um, I always like to give credit where credit's due. This is Wall Street Journal. This is Andrew uh, Duran and Annie Linsky wrote this for uh, Washington for the Washington Wall Street Journal Journal Dateline Washington. The Biden administration and Capitol Hill leaders are scrambling to avoid a first-ever government default that could arrive as soon as June 1st, taking potential alternative strategies more seriously after months of deadlock over raising the country's borrowing limit. Publicly, both Republicans and Democrats are still sticking to their demands as the clock ticks. GOP lawmakers are seeking to force cuts to federal spending in exchange for supporting raising the debt limit while Democrats continue to call for a debt limit increase without any other policy conditions. Privately, though, Biden administration officials and lawmakers have started to weigh potential alternatives to their negotiating position, including a short-term increase in the borrowing li limit that would buy them time to find a compromise. According to people familiar with the matter, Biden administration officials are taking a fresh look at experimental ways the U.S. could keep could potentially keep paying the government's bills even if Congress doesn't raise the debt limit, the people said. Um, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's warning this week that the U.S. could default as soon as June 1st jolted Washington, uh, spurring 
officials to turn to a problem many had assumed wouldn't become top of mind for several more months. A failure by the U.S. government to pay its bills on time risk broad financial and economic fallout. So I listened to a podcast, guys. Uh, it's called uh, Breaking Points. It's very balanced. Uh, they believe, the two hosts of that show, the two primary hosts of that show, that this is a huge story that the, the mainstream media, for the most part, has glossed over. And this is a story that could, could really hit people like us, American taxpaying citizens, harder than, than we realize. You buy it? Uh, so let's kind of talk about what raising the debt ceiling means. Uh, <clears throat> it means that we make my house, our household makes a hundred thousand dollars a year in income. Right. But our expenses are $140,000 a year in expenses. And instead of us taking some type of austerity measure and saying, Hey, you know what? We need to stop eating out. Um, Maybe we don't need to belong to the country club right now. Uh, maybe we should, you know, stop. Uh, maybe we don't need to go on our summer vacation. We need to get our proverbial shit together. But instead, we've called American Express and said, hey, I know I'm maxed out on the credit card, but can you, can you give me another $10,000 of, you know, of available credit so I can continue to eat out and – you know, I want I want to go on my vacation and and uh, I don't I don't want to stop going to the country club. That's kind of where you know, in an, for an analogy of what this really is all about is is that we are unchecked in our spending. Uh, Reed, what do you anything I you want to? I think that's the best I've ever heard it explained. <laughs> so the problem is not that we have we are not broke because I mean, like you know, a family that makes a hundred thousand dollars, although you know, you, you probably don't have a ton left over at the end of the a month now, which seems crazy to think that a hundred thousand dollars worth of income, you wouldn't have anything left over. The family is not broke. They're just living beyond their means. And dude, we have been living beyond our means since the nineties. Uh, and, and so I'm going to say, this is not a Republican issue. This is not a Democrat issue. This is all of those clowns in DC issue. Um, and, you know, and it's going to be a painful unwinding process. It's not going to be fun, but it, it starts with spending cuts. Uh, I mean, I know, I'm not trying to get you fired up, Neil, but uh, I know like the money that we send to Ukraine, uh, we've talked about that in the past. It's like, man, is that is that really the best? When we can't pay our own bills in the U.S., does it make sense? I mean, like, if I can't pay my bills and Reed says, hey, dude, I need to borrow 10 grand, I'm like, sure, dude, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna go into further debt. I'm going to go borrow on my American Express to give you the 10 grand because I like you. I mean, I do like you, I Reed, but you well, it, it might I absolutely it, it, would it, not do that for you. Well, <laughs> would you hold on? Would you do it if Reed had damaging information on you that could cost you your job? Well, then that's not, then I don't have a choice. That's I'm being coerced. I'm 
at that point, then yes, absolutely. And you know, there, or if my kid and there you have it. And there you have it. All you're telling me. me is that I need to figure out something to blackmail me. Well, what you need or to do, Reed. Hey, Dad, uh, hold, hold on, Martin. I'm, 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 I'm going to give Reed some advice here. Reed, what you need to do <laughs> is you need to do some deals with Martin's son, uh, in which exactly Martin, in which Martin gets. A ten percent cut. You need to have this document. More than ten percent. Well, it's ten percent for the big guy, and so ten percent, <laughs> and uh, have this documented, and then at some point, when you oh, when man. you need when you need a favor, go hey remember remember this this yeah if this, this got this out paper. if this got out publicly, you wouldn't survive. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if you want to deal with that, Morton. I mean, look, my family's Cuban. I'm sure we've got some skeletons in the closet. <laughs> they, so. they, they have different rules. <laughs> they do have different rules. Okay, but, uh, but let me ask this seriously, though, because we, you cannot continue using your analogy. You cannot yeah. continue to just call American Express over and over and right. over. At some point, it it, it becomes well, it's, it's suffocating. So what happens? I mean, we keep saying, well, there's no way that the U.S. will ever default on its loans. We keep saying that, and then financial it would be catastrophic. Financial experts, and I, I, I trust some of these people. I trust you guys too. Don't get me wrong, but some financial experts are saying everyone keeps saying that something can't happen, and yet we're awfully close to the precipice of the place where it does happen. And if it did happen, it would be a catastrophic event in our country. And yet right. we continue to spend and spend and spend in, in incredible levels. No one even pays attention to the fact that their taxes are going up. No one even talks yep. about it. It's like, ah, you know, whatever. And it, this is a major story, and it gets no play at all. Well, because it's not, it's not fun to talk about. But, and, there's, and there's really there's two options out of this, Neil, which is – well, and it may be a combo of both, but realistically, you got two options. There's austerity. You know, we stop spending or slow it down uh, to try to get our belt tightened, or you have to go make more money. And for us in our household, you know, if it's like, oh, God, you're like, I, I'm going to have to slow down. But for this a period of time, like, I got to go deliver pizzas for Domino's for and pull in an extra 10000 or 15000 this year to be able to get ahead of this guy. Well, the only way that the government can increase their revenue is through taxation. Uh, I mean, I don't know if of any other way. I mean, we could sell off assets that we that we have. That's probably not the the easiest way to do it. The easiest way to do it is going to be raise taxes. And I think Neil, you and I, not too long ago, we talked about the bulk of tax revenue for the government does not come from businesses. It comes from me and you and Reed and all of our listeners. That's where the bulk of the revenue for taxation comes from. So probably the solution, which I know I'm, this is not going to be a popular solution. The solution is probably a little bit of both. You know, they actually got to collect tax revenue and they got to slow the spending down. And I mean, and I think, hey, you want to talk about equity? Oh, I, never mind. I shouldn't say this. Thing. I'm going to, I'll get my ass kicked. I'll be quiet. Well, I, sorry, I, I just abruptly stopped. But no, it's okay. I was about I, to say something that was I just, probably I shouldn't say publicly. I just think as a as a I don't even know. I'm 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 soapboxing, and I don't mean to. It, it's what really bothers me about kind of the dumbing down of of our of our 
populace is that nobody questions, hey, it kind of feels like my taxes are going up. Where's this money going? Where's where's it going? I think that's a fair thing, right? If you come yeah. to me and you say, yeah. hey, Neil, I'm in a pinch here. Um, can, can I borrow $20,000? And I say, you know, Martin, you're my buddy here, sure. Now, you come to me a year later and go, Hey, can I borrow twenty thousand more? And I say to you, well, what did you do with the other twenty? And yeah. your answer is, and I don't. Your answer back. is, I don't know. Then the answer is, I want my twenty back. And hell no, I'm not and giving you any more money. But we, as a country, the, we just keep going. Yeah, we'll spend more. We'll spend yeah. more. We'll spend more we on do. this. We'll spend more on this. It's 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 insanity. And 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 yet I know what happens if we have a catastrophic uh, default on our on our on our yeah. on our loans. What happens is people Global economy. Yeah, what what happens is people like you and me, our retirement's gone. It's it's, it's gone in a, in a flash. We have no money. Uh it, it it's catastrophic and and it's just and it, there's there's a there's a an ignorance out there about issues like this that that frankly really bothers people like me because I I look at at my family's budget and make decisions accordingly. And yes. and 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 the decision if I if I made a decision in my family that was well you know what we'll do we'll just hey we'll just load up on credit card debt. Yeah. If, I mean, if, and- if that's the decision if that's the decision that I made that hey we're just going to load up on credit card debt that would be reckless. And people right. people would look at that if I came to you as my financial advisor and I, and you said to me, "Hey, I'm I'm looking at your your assets and, and debits and such, and you're 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 putting way too much on credit cards. What what are you doing here? That the advice yep. you would give me is, "Hey, you're going to have to cut back some spending. This might hurt a little bit, but you're going to have to tighten your belt." Why yep. we as a as a as a nation are refused to do that is is frankly beyond me. Yeah. Well, it's either that you know, I, I you either tell me that you say, "Hey, Martin, you got to." You got to cut back on, on spending, or you're like, hey, you know what, Jennifer, Jennifer's gonna have to go to work. She's got to go. You know, she's gonna have to go. I know she loves volunteering, and she's been having a great time volunteering. But she's she needs to bring in, you know, twenty thousand dollars. You know, for the next two years to get this thing under control. And that's and and that's what reasonable people do. Uh, but our government is not reasonable and we don't do that. And it's not been, and again, I'm just, I just want to make sure that people hear me when I say this, this is not a Democrat issue or a Republican issue because both parties have been in power and continued to exacerbate this problem. The last person who got our, 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 you know, budget balanced was a Democrat. Mr. Clinton, who yeah. loved to poke young women with cigars. I mean, say what you want to say about the dude, but you know, he might have been a petter ass, but he was uh you know, he he got everything in balance. And Bill Clinton, the the Bill Clinton to the, of of yesteryear, his exact same policies, his exact same stances, he would have no chance at either party's nomination as of today. Oh yeah, we've gone to the extremes. <clears throat> Well, we almost made it a whole show without talking about politics. 
As I always say, when people say don't talk about politics, I'm like, well, then don't talk about anything meaningful because politics impact absolutely every meaningful aspect of of your life, especially as it pertains to fiscal matters. Yeah, I mean, and and man, and and I was being a little tongue in cheek there, but but this was a whole. I mean, we're talking about monetary policy and fiscal policy and how. Well, and well, we didn't even make it the whole show because I mean, as soon as we started talking about the Fed, I mean, that's we're talking about politics too. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, uh, we don't have a, we don't have a, uh, an income problem. We have a, we have a spending problem. We are, we are the little 18 year old who, you know, dad gave the credit card to and didn't say, you know, Hey, you, you can't spend or here's your budget. And we just kind of went on, you know, we bought all the pretty girls at the bar drinks. Maybe we're 21, not 18. Oh, it depends if we're in Europe. <laughs> it depends on if we're in Europe or not. <laughs> um, anything oh, you guys man. want to add before we close? No, I kind of, man, I had, uh, I, I hope that we get, we got JT somewhat of an answer and I'll kind of, let me, I will say, let me, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tie a bow on, on this for, and then read if I miss anything, you supplement on the backside. Um, I don't know that people's day-to-day interactions with banks are going to change. I think the biggest impact that folks are going to feel, at least in the interim or the short term from this whole banking deal is uh, if you have exposure to banks in your investment account, which if you have a, you know, a mutual fund in your account that has the word value behind it, read, correct me if I'm wrong, you're probably going to have yep. some exposure to uh, you know, to the banking or financial systems. That's correct. So if you see your value portfolio is really sucking this year versus your growth portfolio, just remember that last year growth growth was down, you know, 40 to 50%. Whoa. That was weird. Uh, gross was down, for, for, growth down 40 to 50% and uh, value was essentially flat last year. So it ebbs and flows. Don't make knee-jerk reactions. Call your advisor. If you don't have one, call us. Right. 601-957-0323. You can also all go to uh, mypinwealth.com <laughs> and uh, and get in touch with these guys. They do great work. They're awesome. Appreciate them. Uh, this is be news to Martin. We won't have a show next Thursday. I'm going to be out of pocket the end of uh, all the end of next week. So we'll be back in a couple well, I'm going to be in New York next week with okay. Reed. So. Well, there you go. Uh, yep. All right, so uh, we'll, be, we'll be back in two weeks with another edition of Mind on My Money. Until then, uh, for Reed Davis, for Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. Thanks for making us a part of your week. We certainly appreciate it. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you again soon. All right, guys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.